Welcome to City on the Edge. Hello. Hey. The podcast where we tell Albuquerque stories. I'm Ty Bannerman. Joining me today, as always, is Mike Smith and Nora Hickey. And uh, we're going to be talking about Confederate Albuquerque and the Civil War as it blazed through New Mexico. Yep. Um, something a lot of people don't know much about. It's true. Fascinating stuff. Yes. Uh, first of all, what a, we've got some announcements. We've got the uh, oh, yes. Podscape Festival is going to be September twenty third. Okay. Okay. Uh, here, Mike, at, write that down. All right. right. September at the Albuquerque Press Club. Third. We're going to have uh, ourselves. We'll we'll be performing there, but it'll be from uh, noon till midnight, and we will have. All kinds of uh, local podcasts. Uh, the Potential Problems, yeah. 10 Drink Minimum, mm-hmm. Alba Crazy mm-hmm. will be there. So if you ever thought, I'd like to listen to six straight hours of podcasts. Dude, go it is your time. <laughs> 12 straight hours of podcasts. Oh, jeez. Oh, Does it's it from, go from like G-rated yeah. to X-rated? That's actually my plan. On? Yeah, yeah. We start out pretty family friendly around, you know, from yeah. noon till six or so. Yeah. And then afterwards, that's when we'll have those, those, those dirty birds. Yeah. Um, from uh, from like potential problems and, and so forth. Yeah. Oh yeah, them too. I yeah. don't know. I haven't heard from them. Okay. I reached out to. I talked to Hunter. She's interested. Um, okay. August twenty seventh and twenty eighth is the Albuquerque Maker Fair, and we will be doing a show there as well. I'm um, sorry, that's the 26th and 27th. So that weekend, we're going to be performing on one of those days. I'm not sure okay. which, but mark your calendar. We'll be up at, uh, what do they do, at Balloon Fiesta Park, oh, yeah. I think? Or? Hey, I've got a couple of readings coming up, too. Um, let's see, what are they? Uh, I'm doing Sunday Chatter on Sunday the 13th. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know the details on that because I should find that out so that I attend it. Yes, and, <laughs> but, but but I'm gonna be reading like a ten minute essay or something like that. Cool, not cool. history stuff, but that's whatever. with uh, Don. Uh, yeah, Don, Don, Don McIver, McIver. Yeah, who has been a guest here. Yeah, I'm not um, sure what I'm gonna read. All my stuff's really long. So I don't, yeah. But <laughs> like, it's not just a, a yeah. reading, but it's also classical music. Oh yeah, they, yeah. And it's like Those a whole cool, yeah. thing. Sunday chatter. Yeah, yeah. It used to be uh, Church of Beethoven. What date did you say? I think it's Sunday. Yeah, like this the thir- Sunday. No, like the thirteenth or eleventh. Something like that. So okay. When's the next Sunday? Look it up online. Yeah, yeah. Look up Sunday Chatter. I'm doing that. Website. And, uh, and then I'm doing something at the Tanix the Saturday night before that. Another reading wow. as part of a zine event. You I never I never busy. go out of my way to set any of this stuff up. It's just, you know, you like are around enough, people ask you. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. But um, Is that like a humble brag? So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see. Is there anything else? Oh, hey, uh, support us on Patreon. It oh, would yeah. be hugely helpful. Uh, Patreon.com slash City on the Edge. You can support our humble podcast for as little as $1 a month or as much as, I don't know, $5,000 a month if you want it. <laughs> if you want it. Um, and we'll send you T-shirts and stuff. We have different rewards. And it, it is actually a huge help uh, for us to be able to, like, um, eat. get the word out oh, yeah. and eat right. and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, upgrade equipment and so forth. Yes. So it'd be great yeah. if you could yeah. do that. Man. Well, well, shall we go into the Civil War, guys? Sure. Um, yeah. 
First Speaking of all, of what side are you on for the Civil War? I'm going to go Union. Me too, Union. Yeah. What about you, Nora? The Confederates are so sexy. Oh, okay. So you're pro-slavery. Yeah. Oh, oh I just meant the heroes of it. I'm oh, just kidding. Yeah. Of course oh, I'm pro-Union. Okay, all right. I'm from I, the let's North. Let's be clear of that. This is a bunch yeah. of... Bunch of Yankees on this here podcast. Oh, I have some Southern ancestors. I don't know that I have any that fought in that, but I have Southern yeah. ancestors that got out of the South in like the 1830s or something. I don't actually uh, know. Do you think they harbored Confederate sympathies? Well, probably. You know, like ancestors are full of racism <laughs> on every side. Uh, no, but um, I, I'm... I, I'm pro-union, but I'm also, like, pro... Why did we have to have a civil war? Why was it so important to, like, keep the union together? America's borders have changed so many times throughout history. Why were the random borders at one point in time so important to preserve? Man, you know? that sounds like a whole other podcast. Yeah. I, I know. I don't even know the answer, really, yeah. other than I'm glad that slavery was ended. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let's, uh, let's go to New Mexico okay. and the civil war here. All right. Sorry, um, sorry. I go off on this stuff. Of course, most people, when they think of the Civil War, they think of, uh, you know, Virginia, the eastern states, right. Tennessee, whatever, right. like places where the famous right. big battles were fought. And yet there was a, uh, a significant campaign in uh, New, the New Mexico Territory, which at that point was known as Arizona Territory. Um, basically, that was an area that extended from the western border of Texas all the way to, uh, like, California. And that was Arizona Territory. Um, so on May 11th, 1861, uh, an editorial appeared in the Santa Fe Gazette. And it said, what is the position of New Mexico? The answer is a short one. She wishes to be left alone. No interferences from one side or the other of the sections that are now waging war. She neither wants abolitionists nor secessionists from abroad to mix in her affairs at present, nor will she tolerate either. In her own good time, she will say her say and choose for herself the position she wishes to occupy in the new disposition of the now disrupted power of the United States. Sounds kind of cool, right? Yeah. Except it was total wishful thinking. And um, by July of that year, Colonel John Baylor of Texas... Um, fought a end of the Confederacy. Texas was part of the Confederacy. Occupied Mesilla, New Mexico, and mm. declared that everything south of Socorro was now part of the Confederate state of Arizona. Wow. Oh. And many people in southern New Mexico were fine and dandy with this. They had written their own editorials in, in support of mm -hmm. the Confederates. And, uh, you know, there's still a division today, which is northern New Mexico tends to be pretty, mm -hmm. like, left-leaning and pretty, uh, like, I don't know, more northern in sympathy, right. I guess. And then southern New Mexico is very much, like, more conservative and mm. yeah. um, more in line with, like, Texas or yeah. right. you know, southern states. Especially eastern New Mexico, southeastern. Southeastern New Texas Mexico. Area. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like all parts of New Mexico, but, man, we are, like, four or five states. We're really, like, yeah. totally... So divided. I remember buying this roadmap once, and it was New Mexico and Northern New Mexico was the name of the map. Really? So weird, huh? You know, <laughs> like curious, huh? <laughs> I thought they were the same state. Um, and it, so, yeah, John Baylor yeah. was. Yeah. Um, I mentioned he was a Texan. He was actually the nephew of the judge who founded uh, Baylor University. Really? If you're familiar with that, so yeah. 
Ken Starr was the president. Or yes, something. he was. And actually, they're having quite a bit of trouble right now with yeah, um, football-related mm-hmm. misogyny. Is that right? Yeah, rape stuff. And sexual oh, really? assault. Bad stuff. Yeah. Um, so Baylor, uh, after he had uh, taken over Mesilla and declared that all of um, southern New Mexico was now the Confederate state of Arizona, wrote to his friend um, Henry Hopkins Sibley about the situation there because Sibley had once served in New Mexico. And he told him that although uh, most of the Anglo people in uh, southern New Mexico were Confederate in their sympathies, quote, the Mexican population are decidedly northern in sentiment and will avail themselves of the first opportunity to rob us or join the enemy. So there was like not only geographic but also like a racial yeah. Yeah. Uh, divide as well. It's weird that the Hispanic people in New Mexico wouldn't want to ally with the uh, the white supremacists in the South fighting to <laughs> enslave another race, right? Because they have darker skin. Yeah. So Sibley had actually served in northern New Mexico at uh, Fort Union until 1861, and he had this um, this idea that he could maybe because of the the sparseness of the population or or something, but he had this idea that they could just basically march in some Confederate troops and take over the whole area and secure the resources um, for the Confederacy. I have a really good book here. It's called Albuquerque Remembered by Howard Bryan. And he says in here, it says, it was Sibley's grandiose plan to capture New Mexico for the Confederacy, take over the Colorado gold fields to the north, and to eventually extend the conquest to California, providing the Confederacy with Pacific seaports. This would have included a great deal of living off the land and local inhabitants flocking to the cause. Neither the land nor the citizens were to cooperate, however. And this would have, you know, not only, like, supplied the the Confederacy with a great deal of, you know, money from gold mines and timber and whatnot, but also would have allowed them to evade the the Union blockade of the eastern states. So, Hmm. of course, it would have involved a lot of walking, I guess, but they could have at least have had some ports over in California if, if they had managed to go through with this idea. So he went to, uh, he arranged a personal meeting with Jefferson Davis and convinced Jefferson Davis to allow him to uh, recruit, um, what he wanted to recruit were militias in Texas hmm. and then enact this scheme. Interesting. So he comes to hmm. Texas, San Antonio, um, on August uh, 23rd of 1861, and he begins organizing an army. And if, he wanted to do militia guys at first, but he, uh, he found them kind of unreliable, so he wound up just taking volunteers of every kind. He recruited 3,000 men, mostly from East Texas counties. Um, he couldn't arm them. And so it said, the volunteers provided their own weapons, horses, and blankets with minimal supplies given from the government warehouses. As a result, the weapons used by the troops varied widely, including rifle muskets, squirrel guns, and double-barreled shotguns. It was literally just whatever they could grab to take with them. And apparently the Texans were kind of interested in marching on Santa Fe because of an earlier incident the Texas-Santa Fe expedition. Do you uh, remember that one? Tell me about this. Okay, so soon after Texas um, formed its own country, I believe that was 1834, Wow. they declared that they owned owned not only the area that we now know as present-day Texas, but uh, extending all the way to the Rio Grande as it went through New Mexico and including Santa Fe. And they, uh, in order to secure this claim... 
they organized an expedition that was kind of like halfway military and halfway um, merchants. Like it was sort of like to, like they had cannons and stuff, but then on the other hand, they also had wagons just filled with supplies to sell. And they had kind of thought that that the uh, New Mexicans would be all for joining Texas as a country. Hey. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I gather that they weren't exactly expecting, like, <laughs> battle. Uh. What happened to them, though, is they wound up getting lost on the way. Oh. So they went traveling through New Mexico to try to get to Santa Fe. They got lost. They started running low on food and drink and so forth. Mm. And they, um, they, they were found by some Mexican uh, troops, like real Mexican troops, mm-hmm. uh, New Mexico was part of Mexico at that point. And they basically asked them for their mercy. And they arranged, um, they said, okay, well, we'll go up to Santa Fe and it'll be safe passage and you'll be able to like make your spiel or whatever. Um, the Mexican troops spent, uh, sent a message back to Santa Fe and Governor Manuel Armijo, who was like, uh, no, we're not just going to let them march into Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. And so he wound up and he took them all prisoner officially and sent them to Mexico City. Oh wow. And they died people died on the way and they were treated wow. really badly in Mexico City. So there was a real sore mm. point for Santa Fe uh in the minds of a lot of Texans at uh. that time. And they they uh in in the uh correspondences and diaries from the Confederates you read that they talk about Santa Fe, that place of well-known treachery and wow. you know, backstabbing. So. We, we should do a, uh, an episode on New Mexico versus Texas sometimes, because yeah. there's a lot that goes back to like tribes fighting over land on the other side of the river and stuff like that. Like, yeah, right. Water rights. There's a long, difficult history yeah. there for sure. And cool. this is one more chapter in it. So yeah. apparently a lot of the Texan volunteers, like that was sort of a point of like they Spurred wanted to, them on too. yeah, exactly. Like they wanted to bring their, mm-hmm. uh, bring some vengeance for the the Texans who had fallen, you know, on the way yeah. to uh, to Mexico City. And what City. time was this? So this is uh, so this is August twenty third, eighteen sixty one. Is when Sibley okay. is organizing this. Uh, he called it the Army of New Mexico. And then on the Union side, mm-hmm. they're kind of struggling, too, I read. Okay. Why so don't you tell us about that? On August 2nd, 1861, um, Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Carson arrived at Fort Union. Yeah, so that's Kit yeah. Carson. Um, Christopher Houston, Kit Carson. So Fort Union is up by Las Vegas, New Mexico hmm. now. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So there were some issues because uh, there was... No clothing. So a lot of people were kind of just in rags. And um, it says here that there was a, quote, deplorable want of clothing among the recruits, many of whom had arrived almost naked and shoeless. And then they were getting uniforms from Kansas, Uh but it would take months for them to arrive. So we got another ragged group over on the Union side. This is the Union, yeah. And so the Confederates were the same. Um, this I have this book here, Rebels on the Rio Grande, the Civil War Journal of A.B. Petticolis, edited by Don E. Alberts. And this is really an interesting book because it, it, uh, it's just the journals of, of a, one Confederate soldier, this oh, guy, cool. A.B. Petticolis. Oh. And, um, and it says here in the introduction, with good leaders and good training, the members of the Company C were well served. In other areas, however, they were neglected. Their clothing was often civilian apparel worn from home, sometimes being fashioned by a mother or sister in military style. 
In other cases, federal uniforms acquired by the surrender of United States material to Texas authorities were issued. So that's confusing. <laughs> so these are the Confederates like, that you're talking about now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It says, uh, so basically everybody's like dressed in rags. Right. So these, right. these are not the top of the line. They're not right. sending all the brand new shiny uniforms to the Confederate or the Union troops. Right. Right. This isn't getting a lot of right. supplies or love. Right. And from what I understand, like basically the uh, the Union troops were, um, they ha- they these forts were established uh, against the Native Americans. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but the troops were left there during the Civil War to provide a buffer against the right. Texans, right. Uh, precisely yeah. to prevent this kind of thing from happening. But it wasn't like a very like active, mm-hmm. um, active scheme or anything. It was just like let's just leave some guys there right. in case something happens. Right. So uh, right. they're not getting a lot of information either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This same that same book I mentioned says that uh, at, at the various camps, drinking began to be a serious problem. I have a note here in this book. The South will rise again. You barely rose then. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, it seems like they were just kind of like ragged crews, just, yeah. you know, yeah. bumbling up. I mean, were, yeah. That's, and uh, Henry Hopkins Sibley seems to have been one of the most ragged of all. Yeah. He had had many incidents. Uh, he had been written up many times for uh, incidents stemming from his drinking. So he was, he was described as loved by those who knew him best, but hated by those he led in battle. Like, uh, he was not known for being uh, a brilliant tactician or anything. Um, hmm. huh. So he starts, he gathers up his, uh, his army of New Mexico. Like I said, it was about 3,000 men. They start marching west into, uh, into New Mexico. They go to Fort Thorn. So it's northwest oh, okay. of, uh, of Hatch. And it was Confederate-controlled, so he brought his guys there. They trained um, for a month. Private Howell recorded a tragically humorous incident in which a soldier standing guard fell asleep, common enough, in Civil War training camps. Unfortunately, he fell asleep while holding his loaded rifle, which discharged upon dropping from his hand, with the round traveling through a series of tents until it hit one soldier in the arm and then went on to wound another in the hip. So this oh, sort of geez. thing was going on. <laughs> Sheesh. So then they start marching north toward Valverde, which is where Fort Craig is. Fort Craig is Union-controlled. Uh, it's like a truck stop now and nothing else, right? I mean, yeah, not yeah, much there. Yeah. Um, and did you want to talk... Do you guys know anything about uh, Colonel Canby? He was in charge of the troops at, uh, at Fort Craig. He was not uh, so he was in charge of the uh, the Union troops at Fort Craig, but he was not known for being a particularly like brave or brilliant tactician himself. Uh, he was, in fact, often criticized for being far too conservative in his plans. Mm. Um, so hiding uh, our tents till it's over. <laughs> the Army of New Mexico, yeah, kind, and that's kind of what he wound up doing at the Battle of Fort Craig. Um, <laughs> So Sibley came up. The plan was for him to capture Fort Craig by luring out the Union troops. Huh. Union troops would not come out. Interesting. They just stayed inside, and uh, Sibley <laughs> weighed his odds and decided that they probably weren't going to be able to take the fort in a direct attack. Interesting. So mm-hmm. instead, he marched up to the fort at Valverde, at which point Canby then got his troops out to pursue them, and mm. they, that was the Battle of Bloody Valverde. Oh, yeah. Mm. Which was actually won by the Confederates. However, they still weren't able to take on Fort, uh, Fort Craig. It sounds horrible. Pedicolis wrote about that, and 
I should like give a trigger warning mm. alert for this description. It yeah. just sounds awful. Um, there were a number of times when the Confederate Army was marching north through New Mexico where they had just had a lot of downtime. And during that time, Pettacolis, who had been a school teacher and a lawyer and like um, was educated enough that he shouldn't have been fighting on the side of slavery. <laughs> um, but uh, he said, okay, and if you hate hearing depictions of animal cruelty, I do too. Uh-oh. Um, but it's just, I mean, this is history. He said, I saw several horses horribly wounded. A cannonball shot off the right forefront of one in 10 yards of me. Another had both forelegs shot off, and the last I saw of him, he was trying to use and stand on the shattered stumps. When the order was given in the evening to charge, I was directly in front of the enemy's artillery, which was throwing grape shot with fearful rapidity. I hated to get up from behind the sandbank very much indeed, and after I had gotten up and gotten some 10 yards from the bank on the way to the cannons, I saw that a great many had not started from the sandbank, and I paused a moment to entreat them to come on. Charge, boys, charge. It is the only thing that can save us, I recollect saying. And a few more having started, I rushed on toward the battery, for I knew I could be in no greater danger than, than I then was. Um, wow. And then it goes on, and it's just gruesome. It's just grape shot and Ugh. cannonballs Ugh. and just everything, and everyone's just exploding, and, and it's, it's horrifying. Everyone, yeah. You know, I love <laughs> to imagine where he was writing it and when, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Circumstance. Right. So, yeah, this was winter of uh, 1862. It's February 13th. Um, and it sounds like this also displayed some um, racism towards Hispanics and Mexican on okay. the Union side because, and I'm trying to look for the specific example, but my book, which goes through the time period really full of detail, um, which says book is that, that A Civil War History of the New Mexico Volunteers and Militia by okay. Jerry D. Thompson. Um, but Thompson writes that... Um, like Canby, Chapman, and a majority of the regular army in the territory were burdened with an excessive amount of racial, racial baggage, and they were not hesitant in expressing disdainful views of the volunteers. The volunteers were scapegoats for them often, and that's mm -hmm. what happened in the Battle of Ver Val Verde uh. for um, the Union side when they lost, right. that they kind of blamed it on. Yeah. Yeah, the volunteers... Well, it looks like it was a tactical error by Canby where he wound up splitting his forces and the, um, the Confederates were able to take advantage of that and turn the tide, um, at which point Canby had his guys retreat back to Fort Craig. Uh, Sibley, well, I say Sibley. Sibley was drunk, completely drunk oh, at this wow. point. He had turned over his command to Colonel Thomas Green um, and rode out the battle in, a, in an ambulance and it says he was either drunk or suffering from kidney disease. Oh, my um, gosh. Everything I've read about the guy leads me to think that he, he was certainly drunk, and he might also have been suffering from kidney disease at the same time. What was his nickname? Like, Walking Whiskey Keg? Walking or? Whiskey Keg was yeah. one of the things they called him. Yeah. Um, so he certainly <laughs> deserves none of, the, uh, none of the glory for having, like, won this battle. Uh, Colonel Thomas Green uh, deserves some accolades, yeah. and uh, I think Canby should be... Uh, it should be pointed out that he kind of screwed up. But he knew enough uh, when he was beaten to retreat back to Fort Craig, and he correctly mm -hmm. estimated that um, Sibley's forces would not be able to take it and would not be interested in taking it. So Can Canby has some fine moments later on, yeah. though, when we get to the Battle of Albuquerque and stuff. Right. I, I think he's got some good points. Well, it but, certainly shows... I mean, he, he, yeah, he was not an upfront battle guy, is what I would yeah, say. Yeah. Um, so they retreat back to Fort Craig, refuse to surrender. Sibley... 
figures that there's there's nothing that they can do, so they s- continue to march. Mm. Unfortunately, they had been planning on taking supplies from Fort Craig, mm. and mm. as a result, they were starting to run low. Um, he said that they the fourth uh, Texas uh, battalion had to be dismounted. A number of supply wagons were abandoned and burned because they were empty. Mm. Um, and so they began marching north. Wow. And soon enough, they came to Albuquerque. They were hoping to take supplies from the Union Command at Albuquerque. However, once the Union Command heard that Sibley and his forces were coming, they grabbed everything that they could possibly carry with them, set fire to the rest, and then left for Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. So uh, Sibley's men were greeted with towering columns of smoke from all the burning supplies. Yeah, three pillars of smoke. I yeah. saw it described somewhere, which is very picturesque. And this was down, where was this? Like, what part of town was this? been kind of near Old Town, right? Uh, so they came That's up through Borelis, the yeah. Borelis area, okay. and then they, um, they established their headquarters in Old Town. Okay. And there was someone posing as a Confederate collaborator, Romain oh, yeah. Antonio Baca, um, and he said that he gave the call that they reached Los Lunas hmm. and sounded uh, like 400 soldiers on March 1st, 1862. Oh, uh, okay. And so kind of sounded I... the... Oh, keep going, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But can you just imagine hearing like 400 sh- soldiers are about to descend on? Wow. Yeah, and they're just the first wave or yeah. something, I guess. Yeah. Um, Mark Simmons in Albuquerque, A Narrative History, which I know we mention on the show all the time, but it it's is great. just such a great book. And it's if you love Albuquerque history, you need to read that book. Um, and it's a shame it's out of print. I once yelled at a bunch of UNM press staff for a while when they had a table at a public event. Why isn't it in print still? Why did you let that go out of print? It's the only comprehensive history of the city. Like, I know. Like, yeah. come on. Um, but uh, he talks about one family that left and their little girl was crying for their doll and they turned around and went back into Albuquerque, like which was expecting the Confederates to come in and picked up her doll and, and oh then left God. again. You know, <laughs> I, I yes. like these little human reminders, you know? Um, but in Albuquerque Remembered, this is a great uh, description of what happened with the, with the burning of the, of the stuff. And it has a couple of little details in it that are just so Albuquerque even today. I just love okay. it. Um, at 6.30 the next morning, with no help in sight and the enemy fast approaching, Enos... This is the was, Union. Yeah, yeah. Union soldiers What's in Enos Albuquerque. Exa- Captain Herbert M. Enos, assistant quartermaster in charge of the U.S. government supplies at the Albuquerque military post. Um, uh, Enos ordered that all buildings at the military post housing public stores be fired. Within minutes, the buildings were engulfed in flames and thick columns of smoke billed into the air. Many Albuquerque citizens, anticipating such a move had gathered nearby in hopes of carrying off items that were not destroyed. I'm like, right. wow, Albuquerque <laughs> representing back in the day. Um, <coughs> and then uh, it says, skipping down a little bit here, uh, after there was a lot of stuff stolen, um, the small Union garrison evacuated Albuquerque and soon learned that five of their provision-laden wagons were attacked by a band of robbers while camped near Sandia Pueblo, and three of them carried off. The robbers were said to be deserters from New Mexico volunteer and militia companies. I mean, when you think of all those news stories of people driving through town and, like, their trailer gets stolen or their car gets stolen, or it's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's just, a, that's how we do things It's here. a bunch right. of interconnected problems with poverty and addiction, and we are not addressing things. Uh, yeah, right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting that those elements, you just, they just occur again and again and again, you know? Like, right. It's, um, History repeats yeah. itself. So on uh, on March 
2nd, Sibley arrives in Albuquerque. Um, they're dismayed, of course, by the, their inability to take supplies from the, uh, from the Union caches. Um, and instead, they decide they're going to, quote, live off the land, which, you know, this is uh, somewhere between 2,600 and 3,000 troops who have arrived in Albuquerque. That's a lot of people to feed. And that basically means they start uh, commandeering food and supplies mm-hmm. from the local population, which made them not too terribly popular. Um, however, they did find allies among the Albuquerque residents, in particular, Rafael and Manuel Armijo, uh, who were the, I believe, grandnephews of Manuel Armijo, the, uh, the governor of, oh. uh, of New Mexico that we mentioned earlier. Nice. Um, they I mean, apparently were Confederate sympathizers, and they, uh, they opened up their mercantile shop to the Confederates and gave them approximately $200,000 worth of goods. When I said nice, yeah. I didn't mean it's nice that they were sympathizing with the Confederates. I meant good connection that, there. That yeah. they repeated. <laughs> right. Um, meanwhile, there were other residents in Albuquerque who were decidedly not in favor of the Confederacy. Uh, for instance, Don Felipe Chavez, uh, who was also a local merchant, um, had armed his household in expectation of the Confederates' arrival, and uh, Sibley found out about it and uh, sent troops over to, uh, to disarm them and take all their, their guns. Crazy. And it says in this book that I'm reading that um, Sibley lured Manuel in particular to the cause. So okay. that he and that he was particularly good because he had a lot of energy and one of, was one of the wealthiest merchants in the territory. Right. And they let Sibley stay in their home, um, which is actually where Las Placitas restaurant is today. Mm-hmm. That's La uh, Casa de Armijo. Mm. Yeah, with the tree growing through it. But another place that they stayed, too, was with this guy Baird, Judge Baird. And he was a serious Confederate sympathizer who lived in what's now the South Valley. Oh, okay. And um, he flew a Confederate flag over his house. And later on, when things went down, he had to escape with them because he was a treasonous (laughs) And he, because he represented Texas when Texas was claiming New Mexico. And Sibley's brigade was, a lot of them were camped out with him for Mm -hmm. quite some time. And a kind of unusual figure who was also a Confederate sympathizer that was hmm. tried after the fact was a poet, Julian Tenorio. Okay. And he wrote poems in support of and praise of Los Confederados del Sur. So ah. he was vocal, public about his support. Interesting. That uh, must did have any been of confusing. those survive? Yeah, yeah I, would, I, would, I wouldn't mind hearing some of those. I know. I tried but, to find some and I couldn't. I mean, I imagine being uh, a Mexican-American at that time would be conflicting because you probably remember the, the Mexico-America War, you right. know? I mean, like, you would, you would, you would, uh, that would be fresh in your mind and you might think, you know, anyone that's fighting these people is cool with me. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> but Canby's in communication with Fort Union and other, um, other Union forces. And because uh, Sibley is going so slow up through New Mexico, there are now um, Colorado volunteers under the command of Colonel John Slough rushing down to Fort Union, which is, remember, the, uh, the Confederates' ultimate goal is to take over Fort Union. So Fort Union's getting uh, reinforced. 
So, can be tells Slough, advise me of your plans and movements that I may cooperate. He instructs Slough to harass the enemy by partisan operations as they march north. Basically, guerrilla warfare, obstruct their movements, cut off their supplies. So, Slough does this and basically like starts a, an advance uh, with 1,300 men going from Fort Union toward Glorietta and toward Santa Fe at this point. Wow. So meanwhile, Sibley's guys, Sibley himself stays in, um, in Albuquerque mm-hmm. at this point, presumably drunk. Uh, Sibley's guys march north to Santa Fe. They take over Santa Fe without any kind of fight and then begin moving toward Fort Union. Mm-hmm. They go east from Santa Fe, right through a little town uh, known as Pecos, mm-hmm. And that is where Glorietta Pass is. Uh, and at the Johnson and Pigeon Ranch, that's where they meet the Union forces under the command of Slough. How do you spell that guy's name, the second guy? S-L-O-U-G-H. Oh, okay. And my source says that he was very standoffish and disliked oh, yeah? by many of the men. Yeah, who were real, again, ruffians, rowdy, Colorado mm-hmm. winds. Right. Who wanted to tear some Texas. <laughs> yeah. So what, what uh, Sibley's men do is they leave their supply train at a place called Johnson Ranch and then go forward to Pigeon Ranch hmm. to actually fight the Union. And they win that battle again. Hmm. However, while they're occupied fighting this battle, a bunch of these Colorado and New Mexico volunteers sneak back behind them and destroy their supply trains. Mm-hmm. And they were already hurting for supplies. Yeah. So and this was led by a kind of unsung hero. Yes. Colonel Manuel Chavez. Manuel Chavez, uh, a New Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, not often mentioned in the history books, but uh, apparently um, a decisive factor in this battle. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because even though they win the battle of, uh, of Glorietta, mm-hmm. They are no longer able to continue heading toward Fort Union because they don't have because, the supplies for right. it. And uh, they know that they can't get to Fort Union and fight a battle against a fortified enemy without enough uh, food and so forth. Crazy. And they had really shaken down uh, the people of Albuquerque, the Confederates in particular, um, on their way to Glorietta. They were right. like, give us everything you had. And most of them had made efforts to hide their animals and hide stuff before that, move them out of town, take them elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But not everybody could in time. And, and a lot of stuff got taken away. And they th- I think they believe they said they had enough for three months or something like that, right? Yeah, that, yeah. something like yeah. that, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, once they're all, you know, yeah. their stuff is all burned up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. they have to retreat back to Santa Fe. Yeah. Um, Sibley himself manages to, uh, to rouse himself enough to come to Santa Fe and uh, meet with his, uh, his troops there. They decide that their best option is to continue on back to Albuquerque and uh, regroup there. Hmm. Right at the same time, Canby has moved his guys up from Fort Craig and brought a number of troops and cannons to the area around Albuquerque where there's a, now a small Confederate garrison there, and he begins shelling Albuquerque, mainly just mm-hmm. to see what's going to happen if he does that. Are there enough uh, troops uh, in Albuquerque that they're going to be able mm-hmm. to fight back? So the, um, the Confederates, are they've got their own cannons, and they're firing back, but they only have like two or three cannons, so they're actually like moving them between fire so that it looks like there's fire coming there's, from all oh. sorts of different places. 
and apparently that plus uh, a number of uh, some of the citizens came from Albuquerque to where Canby was. And, and told, I read particularly prominent women of Albuquerque. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. They came to where Canby was, and they said the Confederates aren't allowing us to flee the city, so mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're, you're shelling us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at that point, uh, Canby decides um, not to press on an attack uh, in Albuquerque under cover of night, and while the his military band is playing tattoo, mm. uh, he sneaks his guys down south toward Peralta. Mm. At this point. Sibley's troops are coming in from Santa Fe and they've heard about the shelling and so forth that have happened and they decide they're not going to make a stand in Albuquerque either and their best bet is to retreat as far south and east as they can. So they start heading south. They meet um, Canby at Peralta. Mm -hmm. There's a brief skirmish there. Um, the Confederates uh, are on the bad end of that one, and they continue to retreat basically all the way back to Texas. Interesting. Wow. wow. Thus yeah. ended the New Mexico campaign of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Go on, get. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found it fascinating, all the stuff that happened after. You know, like the... Um, Tried to do trials. The brothers, the Armeo brothers that... Got all their the flour mill. Yes. had to pay money. Well, they actually wound up retreating with the Confederates. They did. So yeah, so they went to Texas with the Confederates for a while. Oh, wow. Then I think Manuel Armijo came back, and Rafael Armijo stayed in Texas, and in fact, uh, purchased slaves and really invested really? himself in the Confederate lifestyle until it all came crashing down. Wow. <clears throat> but yeah, they had to surrender their property and yeah. uh, all kinds of stuff. You know, an unsung hero of the story um, are... So during the Civil War, Native Americans in New Mexico and throughout the Southwest were like, man, these white people are just all fighting each other. This is the perfect time to just do crazy raids all the time, nonstop. Let's take their horses and their wagons and whatever we can take. And they did. And uh, the, the Confederates coming up to Albuquerque, they got their horses stolen over and over again. And a number of times they gave chase and tried to get them back, and they could never get them. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, and instead... That ended up, that whole time, that whole chapter ended up being a catalyst for some really awful genocidal stuff. Kit Carson mm-hmm. went from being yes. a prominent right, colonel yeah. in the Union Army in this area to being, uh, to leading the Long Walk and the Navajo imprisonment at Bosque Redondo. That, that all was a direct fallout from the Civil War in the Albuquerque area in New Mexico. So, and, you know, I mean, yeah, Mark Simmons connects that stuff really well in his Civil War chapter in Albuquerque okay. Narrative History. Recommended highly. Interesting. Um, yeah, and you know, it's, it's uh, very, very interesting. So know? as a bit yeah. of a footnote, uh-huh. um, during their retreat, the, uh, the Confederates buried the, uh, those cannons oh, that yeah, I was talking yeah. about. They, they actually wound up... Eight cannons. They buried them so that they wouldn't slow them down as they were running, yeah. running away uh, from New Mexico. And, a certain um, distance from San Felipe near a church, right? Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. And in what was at that point a stable. Yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah. then later became a garden. And, and um, With, Of a chili field, I read. A chili field? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. And that an old, um, a former artillery officer of the yes. Confederates. Teal was Teal, his name. yeah. Trev- Trevinian. We need to bring that name back. Yeah. Trevinian, Trevinian Teal? Trevinian T. Teal. Okay. Oh, Trevinian Triple T. Triple T. Nice. Helped so, unearth them. And after the Civil War, he came back and, and showed them where they showed the Albuquerque uh, 
department of digging up cannons where the cannons were. (laughs) (laughs) And they were on display in Old Town for a time and then put into the Albuquerque Museum um, and replaced uh, on Old Town Plaza with, uh, with replicas. So those are the cannons mm. that wow. are now That's um, pretty cool. facing east from the gazebo. Or replicas of them. Yeah, those the, are the replicas. The replicas. Yeah, yeah okay. uh, Presumably the... The originals are in the museum. Yeah, the two, yeah. two originals are in the museum, yeah. and then yeah, some other the ones rest? went to, I think, Denver or something. They oh. went uh, to be a part of a display on the Colorado mm. Volunteers. And there's, isn't there a small plaque in Old Town that talks about the skirmish? Yeah. I can never find it. Where is it? I looked well, Hopefully for it. it's gone um, now. It might actually be gone With now. the Confederate flag, it was, it was, right? That used to fly. Well, there Did was a Confederate flag flying over that when they occupied Albuquerque, but I, th- I don't think that's not part of the memorial or anything. But there was a there Confederate was. flag oh, really? uh, flying as recently as last year. Oh, it was one of the five. It was like a historic, yeah, right? like all the flags. Is a flag. Yeah, all I the had flags. a German teacher in high school that had a Nazi flag in the classroom as part of all of Germany's flags. And I just remember thinking like, Ooh. dude, yeah. skip that one. <laughs> we, don't, we know <laughs> what it looks like. Yeah, German teachers, man. man. What are they up to? Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, and there is also a plaque that refers to it as the skirmish of Albuquerque. It's also called the Battle of Albuquerque, despite mm. the fact that it wasn't. So it was an exchange of artillery fire. Yeah. Uh, one Union guy wound up dying okay. um, from I don't know some some piece of shrapnel hit his head. Good for Canby for being like. You know, oh, really? Oh, you're right. I'm just targeting civilians by continuing to do yeah, this. Exactly. It's cool. Yeah, let's, so we'll figure this out that's outside of town. Um, well, like, <laughs> well, I think that's kind of a cool story about how yeah. the uh, the Confederates basically won every battle and, and yeah. still lost the whole campaign yeah. because they couldn't get their supply lines figured out and, uh, and also probably because Sibley was drinking too damn But uh, I did want to read a little bit to you from, the, uh, from a letter... Um, from a member of the the Confederate Army of New Mexico made up of Texans. (laughs) That is a little confusing. Which, yeah, it gets a little confusing. But uh, he was actually captured at the Battle of Glorieta by Union side, but he did describe a little bit about what it was like there. And it's pretty harrowing. Um, About 80 of us that were taken prisoner were soon marched off toward Fort Union. How many were killed and wounded, I don't know, but there must have been a large number. Such a sight I never want to see again. As I was marched off the field, I saw some men lying with their heads nearly shot off, and some with their arms or legs shot off, and one poor man that belonged to our company I saw lying against a tree with his brains all shot out. Henry Asher had an arm shot off, but made out to escape. He was standing by my side when he was shot. The men that charged us seemed to have a charmed life, for if they had not, they could never have reached us alive. Um, anyway, so wow. I, I thought, man... Just I mean, chilling. A small battle, um, but one that was pretty horrific. And uh, actually, the Confederates wound up burying a bunch of their dead in Glorietta. And they were then rediscovered in 1987 during some renovations. And for the most part, repatriated to the, their home states. Wasn't there a big kind of scuffle over keeping them in New Mexico versus taking them back to Texas. I don't yeah. know. And I think it was spearheaded by the Sons of Confederate Army group. So they wanted to keep them in New Mexico or take them um, back to I Texas? Think historians of New Mexico wanted to keep them. There was a New uh, York Times article. I see. Texas and New Mexico battle over remains of fallen Confederate soldiers. Wow. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, On one side, members of the Glorietta Battlefield Preservation Society of New Mexico 
wanted the remains to remain at the battle site. Okay. Um, and then the Sons of Confederate Veterans, which has a bunch of national chapters, one of uh. the skeletons returned to Texas. Well, after having read some of the journals and letters from the people who were, uh, the Texans who were marching through New Mexico, they, they hated it here. I mean, it was like, right. they were just like, what is this barren land? You know, it's like cold. There's nothing green. They're all from East Texas, which is super green, you know, really lush. Right. And um, the elevation is so high up there. Right. So they're yeah, like, just... why are we fighting? Apparently it really impacted their morale as they were marching into New Mexico and they saw what was actually here. Mm. And they're just like, this does not seem worth leaving my home and my family. In fact, several of them wrote back urging um, their relatives not to volunteer to fight really? in the Civil War because wow. of what a terrible time they were having. Wow. Interesting. Um, so you guys know I'm like a I'm really into like the history of the Sandias and, and yeah. that area. And on their way up to Santa Fe, the Confederates camped in San Antonio, where the Burger Boy is now. If anyone's familiar oh, with that okay. area up there. Um, so where know, were they going? Uh, they this was on the way to Glorieta. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, this was, so, so they went so behind the mountain. From yeah, they kind of it sounds like they split up into. Okay. And at one point they camped into Harris Canyon, mm-hmm. and um, it, which they called uh, Carnway Pass. Ah, interesting. Um, and uh, and they um, they uh, headed up there, but uh, Petticolas drew a really wonderful little picture mm, of, yes. of San Antonio at the time, and you can see the old original pre nineteen fifty seven church. Wow, cool! And you can see uh, the Sandia foothills and how the little villages were and where things were concentrated. That's really quite think, lovely. Yeah, I think you can even see part of Ranchitos here, which was um, a little community that was next to San Antonio. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's strange because he does seem to have, like, a good enough mind that mm-hmm. he should have thought about stuff, but he never seems to get too political in this stuff. It's like... It's very he observational. Was, he was from Virginia, and then he went to Texas, and so it's like, hmm. you know, he just, like, fell along the the, bat, the lines geographically or something. No, like I think that. that's I probably know. how most people go about yeah. <laughs> choosing their sides. Because I know it wasn't written during the time, but did you read The Red Badge of Courage? Like, that, no. that kind, that's kind of no. how that felt, you know? That's... um. But he, he said some interesting things, and I kind of like it. Uh, let's see. Um, he says here, um, after coughing for five minutes, we all started back again. I don't know why they cough so much. Uh, and I took a sketch of San Antonio, New Mexico, within hearing of the singing going on at our chaplain's usual Sunday services. Nothing else of interest happened today. Spent my time reading. Monday, March 17th, 1862, lying in camp and nothing unusual going on. Tuesday and Wednesday, 18th and 19th March, 1862, still lying in camp. Talk of our leaving soon. Place of destination uncertain. 16 mules dead and more nearly so. Thursday, March 20th, 1862, drew rations today. I read a good deal and worked on a drawing. I am making of the Battle of Valverde. I drew, drew the picture at the time of our making the charge on the right and left. More news of our leaving. Finished drawing rations for 10 days. Nothing of importance going on in camp. Talk of leaving. You yeah. know, and it's just stuff mm. like that. And then he says these little horrible little asides like, um, let's see, where's, ow, where's that one? Um, about how like one, oh, here's Captain Lang, 2nd Regiment, who was severely wounded, killed himself. The rest are doing well. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, just like the horrors of war. Oh, man. But so... So, all told, um, (laughs) Confederate forces occupied Albuquerque for about one month in 1862. So that was our that was our time as a uh, as a Confederate city. Wow. 
Well, now, if you'd like to learn more about <laughs> uh, Albuquerque's time as a Confederate city, the Battle of Glorieta and the New Mexico campaign, um, you can check out some books that I relied on. The Battle of Glorieta Pass, The Colorado Volunteers in the Civil War by William C. Whitford. That's really the first thing that was ever written about it. It came out in 1906. Wow. So it's kind of a got some really neat old Neato. photographs and things of the area, and it's kind of written in a, in a bit of a stilted style. Okay. A more recent book is called The Battle of Glorietta Pass, a Gettysburg in the West, um, which is what <laughs> Glorietta wound up being called, which is probably overstating it, although it, it was a significant battle in that things would have been very different if Sibley had actually managed okay. to, uh, to capture Fort Union through some, hmm. through some means. So Thomas S. Erdington... I'm sorry, Edrington and John Taylor is who that's by. You can also read Forgotten Albuquerque has a small section devoted to that. That's nice. my book, Ty Bannerman. Yep. And uh, Mike's book, Towns of the Sandia Mountains, has the illustration that he was just discussing. Oh, yeah. So does Don Albert's book, Rebels on the Rio Grande, which is the journals of A.B. Pedicolis. And he was a nice guy, too. I talked to him a couple times before he died. Really cool. Who's that? Don, Don Alberts. Oh. Yeah, yeah. soldier? No, not the soldier. Okay. Donnie, Donnie Alberts, yeah. Uh, but uh, also Albuquerque Remembered. By Brian? Yeah, Howard Brian has a really good chapter in Albuquerque Remembered, and he was a Tribune writer, not a journal writer. Um, and, Albuquerque. And a great chapter in Mark Simmons' Albuquerque Narrative. narrative. I, I wanted to quote from that over and over, but there's just so much. I know, a yeah. great deal. And um, I looked at Turmoil in New Mexico by William A. Kelleher. Oh, good old oh, Kelleher. Old family here, right? And then, um, yeah. The, the first one that I talked about, A Civil War, History of the New Mexico Volunteers and Militia by Jerry D. Thompson. Nice. Okay, very cool. I learned a lot of new stuff researching this. Did you guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't Definitely. know all this at all. And I will say, yeah. I before this podcast was even a twinkle in your eye, I went with my dad to the Glorietta Pass oh. um, mm-hmm. area, and oh, it's yeah. totally natural, but they have all these signs in all these different places. It's really interesting Neat. because it kind of follows this path that ah. doesn't have any replicas, but it has the signs of what was there. What was there and Interesting. Pretty cool. detailed, yeah. I've never actually so done I would that. recommend that. People find stuff around here, too. My, my friend Chris Hinzo up in the mountains has found tons of bullets and all sorts of stuff, but the problem with the Sandias is that anything you find up there might be fake because there was a con man that was, like, salting sites later on and trying what? to make money off <laughs> But that would still be kind of cool to find the fake stuff that's the con true. man planted, Yeah, that's too. true. <laughs> And we'll talk about him if we ever do that used car dealership episode. Version. So what are we going to okay. do next? So what are we going to do next? Um, well, okay, so one prominent figure who I don't know that we mentioned in this discussion was this guy, Miguel Otero. He was a New Mexico politician, uh, had done all sorts of things. Um, he had been a delegate, delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives. He had been attorney general for the state. But uh, he was kind of sidelined by Lincoln because of Confederate, Confederate sympathies mm. and replaced. But his nephew was a guy named M.S. Otero, uh, Mariano S. Otero, who was prominent around here because he, um, he uh, founded, helped found the territorial fair that became the, state, the New Mexico State Fair. Okay. But, and he was a really well-known stockman. He owned tons of sheep. Hmm. And probably some other animals, too. I, I need to double-check this. But he helped destroy this t- the town of Tejon, which was in at the north end of the Sandia Mountains. It's Spanish for badger. Um, he acquired all the grazing and water rights for the town and absolutely forced the people out. And then his children wanted, uh, attempted to turn the town into, like, come see a genuine Spanish village. Oh, like, no. turn it into a curiosity. 
And um, it was just, uh, he was a real villainous character. He was a classic New Mexico mm. villain. And that story of Tejon is really uh, interesting. And, and uh, I've got an article written on it. We could. Okay, let's, cool. uh, let's check that yeah. out. Yeah, Otero and the story of Tejon, yeah. New Mexico. Cool. All right. Um, great. So we'll see some of you guys uh, April 26th and 27th at the Maker Fair. Yeah. August. And also, 26th. sorry, August 26th and 27th at the Maker Fair. And then also mark your calendars for September 23rd, the New Mexico Podscape Festival nice. at the Albuquerque Press Club. And thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Yes. You're all yeah, great. thank you thank so you much. Guys. And everyone that listens, we're just are really glad yeah. you're out there.